From the School of International Service at American University in Washington, this is Big World, where we talk about something in the world that truly matters. Generations of U.S. children have grown up with Sesame Street, the friendly and approachable adults, the lessons about letters and numbers, and most importantly to some, the Muppet characters like Bert and Ernie and Oscar the Grouch. But you may not know that many countries have their own versions of Sesame Street and that the U.S. government helps fund these productions. So today, we're talking about the soft power of Muppets. I'm Kay Summers, and I'm joined by Naomi Moland. Naomi is a professor in the School of International Service. She researches and teaches on global media and international education, and she's also author of the forthcoming book, Can Big Bird Fight Terrorism? Children's Television as Soft Power in Nigeria. Naomi, thanks for joining Big World. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Naomi, Sesame Street is as close to a shared cultural experience as many Americans can claim. What people may not know is that the U.S. government funds versions abroad. Tell me a little bit about these other versions. Do they have the same names? Do they have the same characters? Would U.S. people recognize them? Just tell us about those. So it's a little hard to keep track of the count because... um uh, some come on and off production over the years and whatnot, but right now I think there's about more than 30 versions of the show around the world that are viewed in 150 plus countries. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that most, you know, American viewers would recognize it as being related to Sesame, but the programs do have um, some of the same characters. Uh, so usually, what what the what Sesame Workshop, which is the organization that helps to produce these versions around the world, they aim to have at least 50% of the um, content on any given show be locally produced. And then about 50% comes from what they call library assets, which are pieces of the American version of Sesame Street that might be put in there, or pieces of other global versions of Sesame Street. So the Nigerian version of Sesame Street might have a segment on it that was produced for Golly Golly Simpson in India, mm-hmm. which is one of the programs. Yep. Um, so, for example, on the Nigerian version of Sesame Street, um, they have two of their own Muppets, Cammy and Zobi. Cammy's a orange monster about six years old, and Zobi is a blue monster of indeterminate age. <laughs> He's kind of a cookie monster type character. He's large. Um, they call him a sack puppet. I would say that there's, uh, even though they're very localized uh, to different countries, there's definitely common themes that make them look somewhat the same. I would also say that their goals overall fall into a few different categories that generally are the same around the world. You know, early academic skills like counting and your alphabet and, um, and, and early social skills like cooperation, taking turns, um, you know, the importance of emotions and understanding our emotions. And then also in the American show and really around the world, there's been a major focus on um, mutual respect and understanding between diverse groups. So in the United States, it was really a revolutionary show in the late 1960s because it had an integrated cast. And that was um, seen as very revolutionary at the time to the extent that it was even banned in certain states because it was seen as too radical of having black and white characters who lived on the same street. But that's been a focus around the world of trying to promote um, integration between ethnic groups, religions, or whatever the sort of lines of difference are. So let's talk a little bit about the, the government's role in this. So in your upcoming book about the Nigerian version of Sesame Street called Sesame Square, you write that the U.S. government believes in the power of education as a form of soft power and a way to spread American goodwill. So what role does children's education and media play in U.S. foreign policy 
And what do you think the U.S. is attempting to achieve through programming like Sesame Square? So the answer, I'll start with the answer that I don't know exactly what the U.S. government is is trying to accomplish. I have some ideas. Um, I've spoken with some people at USAID over the course of, of my research, and I hope to continue to do that more. Um, usually when I ask them about their purposes in funding programs like Sesame Street, they really talk about, you know, the importance of education and how education is a major um, tool to prevent conflict as well as to um, promote equality in different societies and whatnot. And so they're really focused on especially countries that have um, educational, that, that have a lot of difficulties with education or a lot of children who aren't in, in schools that way. But I also know from my research and from other, you know, that, of course, that kind of development project, like uh, using education as a form of, quote, unquote, developing a country, is always tied to American interests as well. And so um, Nigeria, for example, is a country of great national interest to the United States. It has an enormous amount of um, oil resources. It's also just a powerhouse in West Africa and really throughout the continent as the most populous country um, in in sub-Saharan Africa, in Africa in general. Talking a little bit about the audience. So tell us what you know about Sesame Square's Nigerian audience, as in how many children are watching Sesame Square? What kind of reach does it have? And are these kids located throughout Nigeria and spanning ethnic groups? Or, you know, sort of tell us a little bit about them. So getting kind of ratings data is very difficult in Nigeria. It's difficult here, um, but it's, you know, we don't, in Nigeria, there's nothing like Nielsen's ratings or that sort of thing. Um, but Sesame Workshop and a research organization called um, Market Research Consultancy did a viewership study in 2014. So the program was originally launched in 2011, um, and they did a study, a viewership study in 2014, um, and they found that Sesame Square was the second most watched children's TV show in Nigeria. It's hard to gauge. I mean, Nigeria has 190 plus million people, so it's hard to kind of gauge that in terms of what the overall target audience is. The country is often divided into kind of the north and the south, with the north being predominantly Muslim and the south being predominantly Christian. It's much more complicated than that, but that's the way that many people um, sort of perceive the divisions in the in the country. Um, and ethnic groups also line up to that to some degree, not not completely, but to some degree, so that the North is predominantly Hausa and Muslim, and the South is uh, predominantly Igbo in the Southeast and Yoruba in the Southwest and predominantly Christian. And again, there's you know hundreds of ethnic groups in Nigeria. I'm right. just naming a few of the a few of the big ones. Um, but in the viewership study that was that was done in 2014, it actually showed that the program was more popular in the north of Nigeria, which is the part of Nigeria that's been traditionally kind of less developed. It has lower levels of education. Um, and one of the reasons I think, or one of the reasons that they stated for that, was that many parts of that that country up there have less access to cable and less access to DSTV, digital TV. So a lot of children in the South, especially that are more wealthy um, or maybe more connected in some ways to, you know, westernized media, whatnot, um, or Western media, they are watching Cartoon Network and the Disney Channel, and um, they have more Sesame Square has more to compete with. So in the North, it's more like it was in the U.S. in the 60s and 70s with no cable Perhaps. and you had PBS, yeah, right? Yeah, where you've got, you know, very limited children's television and you might have five channels on your TV and whatnot. So um, it's it has it might have more um, popularity. Um, but also in northern Nigeria, especially northeast Nigeria, has been the site where Boko Haram has been most active. And so... Um, you know, millions, like two and a half million, probably more at this point of people have fled, you know, 
electricity is intermittent throughout the country, but especially in parts in northeast Nigeria. So, of course, you wonder, are children who are fleeing their homes, who are under attack in some ways, who don't have electricity, obviously they're not likely to be uh, watching to act television, having access to television at all. Naomi, it's time to take five time to reorder the world as you'd like it to be. If you could right now single-handedly institute five policies that would change the world for the better, what would they be? And specifically for you, what five ways would you use peace education to counter conflict? So number one, I would say in a a larger way, is that we have to protect education from being attacked. So in Nigeria, for example, um, 1,200 schools have been destroyed Mm -hmm. in the last five or six years or so um, with the, the uh, mostly mostly by Boko Haram, but also in fights between the Nigerian government and Boko Haram. So you're talking about the, the two, like almost three million children in Nigeria without access to education. So at a very basic level, we have to protect children's right to go to school. Right. If they can't go to school, um, then that's going to cause all kinds of, of long-term problems in preventing or countering um, conflict in the future. So the second one, which I think is related to that, just this that, that we need to both focus on kind of the quote-unquote hard skills in schools mm-hmm. as well as the soft skills. So the hard, like academic access, like children, we know that children who, um, you know, have higher levels of literacy and numeracy and academic skills are less likely to enter into conflict. Mm-hmm. Another way, kind of zooming in more on education, is, is really thinking about how can we foster integration in education. So many parts, many places around the world, schools are segregated. Mm-hmm. And that has all kinds of long-term effects for segregation in society. You know, that, that, yep. that certain, you know, certain ethnic groups or religious groups go to certain schools, which means they don't interact with each other, mm-hmm. they don't know each other, which really feeds into the kind of othering mm-hmm. and um, us versus them. Another one I would say, and this is a complex one, um, is to, to, in educational efforts, to really focus on hybrid identities mm-hmm. and on commonalities between groups. And so, one of my critiques that I raise of sort of multicultural education in general is this celebration of, of uh, diversity, which oftentimes means reifying boundaries right. between groups and saying like, oh, this is African American Month, right. History Month, you know, and this is this is what the Arab people do Mm -hmm. and sort of, you know, categorizing that way in a way that's meant to try to start educating people Mm -hmm. about um, characteristics of a group but can end up exacerbating stereotypes Mm -hmm. and sort of remarking lines between um, groups. So I think, and this is something that that Sesame tries to do, is is really to show the commonalities Mm -hmm. between kids and and also show that, that even at a very young age, I think kids can understand that, like, we're all parts of different identity groups Mm -hmm. and some of those identity groups overlap and some of them don't Um, but trying to sort of present more complex uh, examples of identities um, that way I think is a is a really important goal and then last um, so because what I was looking at was sort of what happens when outsiders bring peace education into a sort of conflict area I would say that in an ideal world I would love for every educational organization or media organizations doing a project in another country to have someone from that organization like go live there for a year. Um, And that, I mean, we've been talking for decades about the importance of localization, Mm -hmm. the importance of understanding the context where you work. And that's just something that's not feasible for most organizations, you know? So Sesame Workshop, if they have programs that are in 150 countries around the world, they can't have 
their producers or educators or scriptwriters spend that much time in any one of those given countries. And so I, I see easily what the um, what the barriers are to mm-hmm. that, but I also think that um, it's so crucial to understand that that deep context. Um, so I think that, but those are those are some of the complexities. So I think that was five. Wow, the world that you run is really complicated. Yeah. I got <laughs> yeah. Thank it keeps you. Keeps me up at night. So I think that you write that Sesame Square in addition to being intended to promote ethnic and religious tolerance, is also intended to promote a sense of national unity in Nigeria. So pulling back from the show and and taking a wider look at Nigeria's history as a former British colony and as the home of, as you you mentioned, lots of non-majority ethno-religious groups of people, why is the message of national unity especially difficult to craft and have heard in Nigeria? And do you think the show is having any success in that? endeavor so I think um, so there's very key historical reasons for divisions in Nigeria which are very in some ways very similar to the post-colonial story around the world um, that there are you know the the northern parts of Nigeria and the southern parts of Nigeria were governed very differently by British colonists. The northern part already had a very successful and established Islamic caliphate when the British came, and so the British sort of ruled that area more indirectly, um, saying, you know, they already have their own political system. We're not going to really mess with this so much. Um, whereas in southern Nigeria, it was much more small and isolated um, kingdoms and whatnot, where the the colonists were much more. Um, much more direct colonialism, including more building schools, building churches. They allowed missionaries into southern Nigeria, and they did not in northern Nigeria because they knew that that would, you know, cause conflict with the the Muslim majority there. And so as a result, though, because missionaries were the only ones running schools in those days, as a result, at independence in 1960, there were huge educational um, discrepancies between southern Nigeria and northern Nigeria. So, you know, one statistic that sticks in my mind, I, I hope I have this approximately right, is in northeast Nigeria now, where where Boko Haram is most um, active, the literacy rates are about 17% for um, people over 15. And in southwest Nigeria, it's like 70%. So just enormous gaps. And so those kinds of economic and educational gaps continue to divide the country. And then the fact, like I mentioned before, that religion ethnicity and region kind of map onto each other in a lot of ways. Um, I think, you know, some uh, political science would talk about, like, those boundaries are sort of triple or quadruple marked, you know, so there's very little integration where the same ethnic group is the same religion in the same region of the country, and they're unlikely to uh, be integrated or to be exposed to people in other parts of the country, so that in many parts of Nigeria, people think of themselves first as Yoruba, then as Christian, then maybe as their state or something, and maybe last as Nigerian. This is a this is a bigger issue than one children's program could possibly hope to. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I and so I mean, there are very explicit national unity messages on on Sesame Square. There are songs about I love my country. Um, I know a lot about my country because I care. Nigeria, my beloved country, your future is you and me. I would sing it for you, but that would be painful. <laughs> um, maybe some trademark issues too. I don't know. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Well, briefly on the on the point of language, and so one of the goals, like I had said earlier, was to have the whole program in English as a way to promote national unity in some ways, because that was seen as the national language. 
But again, because of the educational discrepancies I spoke of earlier, many children in northern Nigeria don't speak English. Many fewer speak English in the north than in the south because there's been less education, there's been less westernization, et cetera. And so after they did the viewership study in 2014, they got a lot of feedback that more kids would watch if it was in Hausa. So then in 2015, they launched the Hausa version of the show and they um, started broadcasting some of the episodes that were dubbed completely into Hausa. Um, but that was seen, that was very controversial among the creators because some of the creators of the show said like, hey, if kids want to be a part of this country, they need to learn English. Like English is our national language. If we're ever going to be able to communicate with one another and build any sort of um, nation feeling, um, we need to have this sh a shared language. But then ultimately that was seen to be contradictory with the educational goals of the program because kids in the North couldn't understand so you it. mentioned 2015 when that uh, House of Version began airing. So the previous year is when the extremist group Boko Haram, as you've mentioned, kidnapped 300 school-age girls and brought international attention to their attacks across Nigeria. So do you think that Sesame Square creators see themselves as producing shows that are responding to terrorism in any way, perhaps uh, by helping children make sense of extremist violence or teaching lessons that they thought could prevent future violence? Are they addressing this in any overt way? In, in terms of how Sesame saw themselves as addressing that, I would, I would say it was never overt. You know, they never mentioned Boko Haram on the program. They never mentioned terrorism, of course. So Boko Haram, the name is translated into Western education is forbidden, mm -hmm. which presents a particularly intense context for education in Sesame in general, of course. And so um, I think in some ways they, they saw just the provision of educational of education in some way, even if it's you know via this television show, might be a way to help equalize um, different inequalities in the United, in uh, in Nigeria, as well as a way to, of course, give children the kinds of skills and you know literacies that they need to be able to resist extremist messages that way. The, the basic idea that, that has held true across uh, different cultures is that education is is kind of the the antidote to extreme behavior right right definitely yeah and we can we can critique that idea we can talk about how it's much more complicated than that and it's you know but and, and there you're not even talking necessarily that's just like basic basic academic messages so a little bit more about um sesame square sesame street in, in the in the u.s has always tried to help kids understand the world and the people in it and reflect a picture in which everyone can see themselves. I think we talked about how radical that was at the time, and it's been something that Sesame Street has built into their their core and has, has continued to do over time. So the show introduced Julia, uh, a Muppet with autism, in 2017 to help children watching understand uh, kids with autism. So I know on Sesame Square, the Muppet Cammy is a young HIV-positive girl, and I'm imagining the creators had to carefully design her to avoid suggesting that certain groups of people have HIV, which is, is always a danger. What kinds of other real-world consequences do creators have to think through as they balance producing shows on a schedule and being sensitive to potential negative impacts of their characters and stories? And I guess kind of in a larger sense, what concerns are specific to Nigeria? Sesame's, you know, does a phenomenal job at breaking it into a couple of very key messages. You know, like I don't, remember, I don't, I haven't learned ton about Julia, but you know, Julia, 
um, is sensitive to loud noises, you know, and she um, reacts differently than some kids. And sometimes she needs alone time, like very simple messages that don't go into anything super complicated, you know, but and they and they brought with that introducing her brought it out into the public discourse Definitely. in a way that people had not discussed children with autism before. And I was the first time I heard the word neurotypical. I had never heard that before. Right. And so I mean, I think that's part of the power of, right. of that with that character. And I, I, does that is that the same thing in Nigeria? I guess comparing it to the situation with the HIV Muppet. So so Cami, the HIV Muppet, was first developed in South Africa for the show um, Takalani Sesame. And there, the curriculum around her was much broader and much more um, deliberate and evolved. You know, I think this was like 2004 or so, and it was very much like the height of the, the HIV crisis. In terms of, of how, do you, how do you choose a character that then represents that, and what are the messages? How do you break that down into very simple messages for children about... Um, you know, and, and they, they do. They break it down into very simple, like, be careful around blood. You know, like, whenever you cut yourself you should tell a parent um, and the main message is really you can be friends with someone who's HIV positive and you can't catch the disease from being friends with them or hugging them or you know boom that's it like very simple uh, messages um, that are that are put out that way but there was um, I know in, in South Africa this question of do we make this character black do we make this character white do we make this character look like he or she's from a certain ethnic group and then it was sort of like bingo we'll make her orange you know and so in a way that was a kind of way that they could escape the discussions about ethnicity um but with with cammy and zobi they're including their names because usually you can tell someone's ethnicity by their name so they chose their names to be ethnically neutral so that they didn't refer to to any one ethnic group their clothing Cammy wears like a vest sometimes. Zobi doesn't wear anything, so that's not an issue. Um, you know, but they're, the way that they talk, everything was very much seen to be ethnically neutral, which was for the purposes of making the show look pan-Nigerian, pan you know, appeal to everybody. But in this case, it also served to make sure that Cammy, as an HIV-positive character, wasn't tied to any ethnic group or socioeconomic class or region of the country um, or anything like that. So as kind of pulling back, as you look at the role of children's education and media in U.S. foreign policy, kind of bringing us back to where we started with the U.S. funding, some, some of these different versions at least, uh, what, what are the positive impacts? What, what does the U.S. feel they have, they have achieved here? So I think, I mean, there is, I think there's, there's definitely positive impacts. I think um, one of the huge... Uh, things with with the Sesame co-productions is, you know, some people ask me, like, well, isn't it, you know, American imperialism in some kind of ways? Does the show look American? Is the, Mar is the show teaching American values to kids abroad and whatnot? And I think all of those are good questions to ask and questions that I ask myself. Um, but also the fact that th these programs in many ways are the most localized thing on television because most children's television, so let's just say Nigeria, for example. So even though, yes, of course, it has a lot of American influence, it has tons of segments with Nigerian children in it, and Nigerian children from across the country, from rural areas, from urban areas. The rest of what kids are watching in Nigeria, and we know from this viewership study and in general, Barney is huge, um, Dora the Explorer, uh, Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry is, like, really popular. But so... of of all of those shows, those are not localized at all. Right. You know, those are completely the way that they have yeah. uh, have always been. And so even by creating like a partially localized show, and, and I mean, I've always been pretty impressed with Sesame's efforts to 
to really, you know, they work deeply with local production teams, with advisors, educational advisors, health advisors, whatnot, in country, um, to really create a program that looks local to the um, the country. Again, with the belief that kids will see themselves in it and be more likely to watch it and be more likely to um, to learn from it that way. So I think that's a huge um, positive impact that the the program is having around the world. Is 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 localized media, even though that's kind of ironic that the United States is the one who's funding it, uh, you know, in some cases. And, and so they, um, but they have that dedication um, to local that way. It's very, it's a big question mark right now to see where our government, our current administration, our government goes with soft power in general. You know, Trump and and Haley, um, the current ambassador to the UN, has been quoted as saying, "We don't do soft power." You know, um, you know, there's been conversations about decreasing aid to other countries, and you know, what's the point of this? So I think that's a real question mark. I mean, in, in some ways, I can sort of critique a lot of these these soft power and cultural diplomacy efforts because they they're very fraught in many ways, but um, I also believe that sort of abandoning them whole scale would be disastrous. And, you know, many people are, are talking right now about kind of the end of diplomacy and what's happened in terms of, um, and what are the possible long, long-term consequences of that and the, the risks of that. It's hard, it's really hard to know. If, if someone, if a child in Nigeria watches, or a child in Afghanistan, you know, watches, you know, Sesame Street in their country, you know, is, are they more likely to like the United States better? Or to say, oh, the United States is a place where they value education and they value children and they value, um, you know, tolerance and peace and multicultural. I don't know. I, I think that's a very hard question to ask, impossible to measure. And so, but I, I also don't think that um, the only good things in the world are things that can be measured, you know? All right. This is the absolute last question. Okay. I lied before. <laughs> okay. Are you a chaos Muppet or an order Muppet? Oh, Very okay. important. Okay, good. Hmm, I don't think I've ever quite classified them in that way. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say usually I, I tend, I, I really love Grover. I Me too. Think, yeah, I think he, I'd probably say he is. I, I'm guessing he'd fall under the chaos. <laughs> like I think he is. Like, I've always yeah. thought of him as kind of an orderly chaos yeah, yeah. though, right? I mean, he's always trying middle. to kind of make sense of it, even though he's exactly. right in the middle of the, of the of whirlwind. The, right. Yeah, but he's yeah, also yeah. trying to like, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's causing a lot of the chaos sometimes, but he's not aware right. that he is or whatever or that he's, yeah. So, and there was a Grover in, in Nigeria. And oh, that, that was, awesome. a, yeah, he was, he did this great segment called Global Grover where he, oh travels around the world and brings back different artifacts. So, I love it. Yeah. Naomi, thank you for joining Big World you're and welcome. talking with me about the soft power of Muppets. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Big World is a production of the School of International Service at American University. Our theme music is It Was Just Cold by Andrew Codeman. Until next time. Mm-hmm.